Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Imagine yourself as a time traveler, wandering through the history and future of music. Each journey feels like the start of a new song, mixtape or playlist. Some parts feel familiar, others more like undiscovered beats. Just like in a musical composition, where different elements eventually harmonize into a cohesive piece, the fragments of your journey come together creating a meaningful symphony of memories and understanding. And as you reach the end, it's like hitting the rewind button on an old cassette, piecing together the various harmonies, melodies and beats you encountered along the way. So welcome to the Rewind 2023 of the Power of Music Thinking podcast where I have conversations with extraordinary people from all over the world who are also musicians or use music in the broadest sense of the word to learn, teach, inspire and collaborate meaningfully. I call my guests the end musician because they are something and they are also musician. But we will learn a new word for them in a minute. So sit relaxed, pour your favorite drink and listen to the rewind like a warm campfire on a dark and cold day. So, This year we had 15 episodes, and virtually we traveled from Nijmegen in the Netherlands, where all the podcasts are recorded, to Berlin, Braunschweig, Zürich, London, Oslo, New York, West Virginia, Nashville, Los Angeles, Hawaii, Singapore, Tokyo, Mumbai, and New Zealand. Okay, what were the themes? The overarching themes were leadership, co-creation, creativity, and how music can be used as an analogy to explain the world and work more meaningfully together. And we had some special themes and zoomed in into subjects like health, sound healing, city policy, political journalism, sonification of data, sonic branding, storytelling, AI, and photography. And special this year, um, beyond the talk and spoken word, we also had sounds that guests brought to the show. So from the sound mood board of BMW to the Turmblazer of my birth town and from the full musical mind-hacking exercise from an ex-Bollywood singer to a techno DJ track based on the production sounds of a toy dolphin. And who was the most listened to episode this year? I will reveal at the end of the episode. Okay, let's first get started and rewind 2023. We started the year with a new word I learned from Barbara Kleb. Think about people like Leonardo da Vinci, 
Hildegard von Bingen, or any guest on this program. All of them are masters in different fields. And there's a word for it. Polymath. So, what makes them special? What I found out by working with them, they have a different way of thinking. Polymaths can take different perspectives and they can hold them in their head at the same time. Hmm. And they're interested in synthesis as well as analysis. So they don't just go down the rabbit hole immediately. And sometimes they do, but often they just also take what they know from their other different fields and they're making connections. And so they can know stuff that nobody else knows because they have combined different fields. Okay, so this was the first episode. And combining different fields, uh, let's jump to the exceptional photographer and musician Charles Brooks, who for the last 20 years has been New Zealand's most successful orchestral cellist. He shares with us how he makes thousands of photographs of the inside of a musical instrument to create an astonishing spatial picture. So, how do you work and what is the connection between music and photography? So everything I do with photography tends to be very, very slow. So if I'm not photographing the inside of these instruments, my other big passion is astrophotography, photographing the stars at night. Um, and that's a similar thing. You can spend hours, days, what nights even, um, trying to get a, a single shot through, you know, lots of, lots of repetition. And yeah, I, I think what I'm really doing there is, is just another variation on playing the cello. You also worked with generative AI. How did you do that? And so I, I sort of delved into a piece of software called Midjourney. Yeah. Um, and Midjourney lets you put in a text prompt and uh, sometimes a reference image as well. And I was able to say, okay, take a, take a look at this photo of the cello and tell me what some, you know, extraordinary architect like Zaha Hadid would do were they to design a room based around this cello. And okay. what it kind of spits out is, is quite extraordinary. I don't know what Zaha Hadid would think, um, but to me <laughs> it, it was an absolutely, you know, fascinating space. Yeah. So if you go to musicthinking.com to the website and have a look at this episode, um, I put there some pictures and you see these extraordinary pictures and also the last one that he worked on with AI. All right, so going further in classical music and the experience of leadership and followership, in the conversation with Michael Spencer... We dive into sound strategies and how things go together in music and in business. And Michael shares experiences from Japan, from London Philharmonic Orchestra, and working with companies like Unilever. On a more serious note, I, I just recently I was working on a project with about 50 execs from around the world uh, who come to Yokohama uh, for this collaboration model that we run in, in, in Japan. And I worked with a, a Zen priest at that time. Uh, and the two things which really came out from what he was talking about and things I'd read was this idea about attentiveness and empiricism. 
which is so important in uh, in the whole musical sphere as well. So the idea of listening, what is really going on, that attentiveness, that deep listening, um, active listening, uh, uh, but also trying stuff as well, that idea of empiricism. And so, you know, in, in Zen, you are always prepared for what might happen. So you, as a swordsman, you don't learn lots and lots of clever techniques. It's actually you're really thinking about what is happening in the moment and then allowing that to happen, which I think is, is, is very relevant to, you know, a lot of people who improvise, or both musically, but if they have to make a speech or they have to react in a particular situation. So it was very valuable to take those lessons, and I think there's a lot of that sort of thing which can be applied to music making as well. So this was a very full episode where we talked about Beethoven's Ninth and also joinery, so cabinet making, and how things relate and how Japan is different uh, to yeah, to the West and also like improvisation and orchestration. And so to stay a little bit in this classical sphere, um, we all know that classical symphonic music is written by a composer and played by an orchestra where every person has its own score and the conductor, he has the full score. So in leading an orchestra of leaders is a conversation with Harvey Seifter, a classical trained musician who formerly served as executive director of the Orpheus Chamber Orchestra. And that's the only orchestra in the world that rehearses and performs without a conductor. So how did they do that? So generally speaking, in a symphony orchestra, you have... Of course, the conductor is, is working for the full score. And the individual musicians have their parts. The music stands in front of them. The parts have been carefully marked by the principal of their section in coordination with the concertmaster, in coordination with whoever the, the, the music director of the orchestra is, perhaps the visiting conductor, who sent the parts ahead the way that person want, wanted the bowings to go and the phrasings to go. Um, so there was that kind of centralization and specialization and top-down approach, which was baked deeply into the culture of symphony orchestras over a couple of centuries. Mm -hmm. So Orpheus used the scores differently. Every musician worked from the full score. Oh, wow. Now, they also, of course, had their own part on the stand in front of them, so they visually not, you know, be able to focus. But... Each musician was working from the full score. So everybody understood what their own role was in relationship to a complex whole. And that empowered them to think and feel and act and contribute and suggest and argue for their point of view about how they can best support this whole and what this whole ought to be. There are so many learnings in here. And as you know, I take music and everything music as an analogy. So my alternate analogy from, let's say, an orchestra with, let's say, so many players and all the organization, um, I like to compare it to how do we work? How do you work in your company, in companies that you know? How is it organized? And, and because classical music is very much top down, so the Orpheus orchestra that's really something new and also big learning so give everyone the full score and not just only that part that they should play 
All right. Um, we also had special episodes. Special episodes are shorter, often based around a subject and somewhat experimental. So in June, I published a special episode about listening to the field with field recordings, experiments of the most dangerous roundabout in the Netherlands, here in Nijmegen, and about the visit to my birth town in the south of Germany, called Mückmühl. And, okay, this is the sound I heard more or less every Sunday from a distance. So it always started with two strikes of the bell, because it's 11.30, and then... You hear that sound. So now this recording was very close, so you could hear every every little detail, and it might not sound 100% perfect. But I can tell you, if you hear this from a distance, from many hundred meters, um, this is really like a ritual for every every citizen to know. Okay, now it's um, yeah, it's Sunday, and um, and also the the spatial effect because they do it in from in four directions so one of them is harder and then the other more far away so a great experience another special episode was about the dutch design week in eindhoven the netherlands and a project by louis Merkel, initiator researcher and curator is the sound of a toy dolphin aims to generate new ecological perspectives through a multi-perspective investigation of man-made noise. So the project uses sounds of the production of a toy dolphin that are the sonic input for a techno DJ. So friends of Bergheim Berlin will like this. Um, so the next one is going to be made from air recordings. Okay, so for, uh, so what we heard um, before, that was the water, and now we get above the surface, And I, let's say, listen, and I thank you very much for all your information. Thanks for listening. So, incredible sounds. An incredible project. So the research, the sound research on the production and the supply chain of a toy dolphin and all the stages that they create sound. 
and then bringing them over in a creative process to yeah to a record to uh, collaboration with DJs so you can hear the full um, the sound of it we end the the episode with it so yeah switch over to to it if you like the music from these industrial sounds we switch to sound as a healing tool Maui sound healing expert Raza Priya from Hawaii talks about healthcare, sound healing, the power of mantras, and a pivotal moment in the hospital when caring for a patient and human compassion. We were all seated in a circle around this gentleman as he was uh, passing. And I remember, you know, we were all touching him, um, had our hands on his legs, arms, etc., And I was just experiencing a lot of love. Um, that simple. Just I was feeling so much love for him, compassion, empathy. Um, and he looked right over and at me and said, you know, and, and here he is with all his family members, but he looked at me and said, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. I really feel it. And I was like, whoa. You know, I it just really blew my mind. And, and I started thinking back to when my grandmother would put her hand on, on my stomach when I was a little boy, like three or four years old. You know, um, I even had to go to the hospital for this, but she would comfort me with her touch. So that moment really prompted curiosity. Huh, I wonder how much is available, how much healing power is available through our energetics, through our touch, through our vibration, through our kindness, you know, those kind of things. And, you know, we're so in the hospital, we're focused on labs, giving medicines, all these chemicals, etc. But what about just human compassion, love, kindness, softness, you know, connecting and touching with someone, just letting them know, hey, I am here for you. I'm your brother. You know, I love you. I'm right there with you. Wow. So after this beautiful and quiet moment, We segue into the bright light of sound healing. So that's the link between Raza and Jennifer Palladino. Um, she's born in New York, active in the punk scene in London in the 70s, and now a sound healer in Los Angeles. And we'll learn more about the sound life of uh, Dr. Jen. And here she explains how she works. A really important part of the one-on-one -on -one sound healing, I use sets of tuning forks. Mm. And because with the tuning forks, you can really take that patient down through that the brain states. So just a little note about brain state frequencies. Um, like you and I are talking here, so we're engaged. Mm. We're in that our brain is has a, a frequency of... 13 to 30 hertz. But when someone go, either meditates or goes through a sound healing, you want to bring those, those brain states down, the frequency down into, uh, uh, like, for example, alpha, which is 8 to 12 hertz, or theta, which is 4 to 8 hertz. By bringing that person's brain state down, Right above sleep, you can really influence their sense of peace. Mm. It's almost like it's almost like a 
guided meditation. Mm-hmm. It's almost like someone holding your hand and taking you there through the instrumentation, yeah. which is great. But the, the I've found with my patients, because I do group sound healings too, and you really can't get as deep as a one-on-one with tuning forks. And that's real difficult to do when you have a group of, could be, you know, 50, 60 people, but a one-on-one. Yeah. Oh yeah. A one-on-one using those sets of tuning forks and they range from, you know, an endocrine set. So your hormonal organs, there's a frequency of each hormonal organ and you can use those tuning forks to address that aspect. So these were two profound episodes about sound, sound healing and health. And um, I'm doing them absolutely short just to, to let you hear a snippet of it. So this is an introduction to listen to the whole episode, maybe one after another. And another episode that is, yeah, you could say linked to it like all of them are linked in some way. Um, so talking about frequencies, um, let's hear about Alexander Refsum Jensenius, a professor in Oslo, Norway, and his project of Standing Still and the Standing Still Championships. And um, he's talking a lot about frequencies and what happens when you, for 10 minutes, stand absolutely still, which here, yeah. It's not possible. Um, you will you will hear in his episode. But here we have a snippet um, about his latest research with performing teams, and you might see a link also with another one we already had. And this we have studied uh, quite a bit in the past uh, with uh, looking at uh, different string quartets. So we we've uh, done ex- an experiment with the Danish uh, string quartet. A project called Music Lab Copenhagen, which was done right after Corona. So it was the first concert they did after Corona. Uh, so that was exciting on its own because people were certain. I mean, finally, you can go back to a concert hall, which was an amazing experience, I had to say, for both for the musicians and for the audiences and saying that live music is not the same as uh, as mediated music. Um, but there we also looked at, at the musicians and used similar technologies to measure their heart rates and respiration and also we looked at how and where they look and we found many interesting things um, including also that the musicians have particular patterns for looking at each other and also listening to each other attuning to each other and in fact even with the Danish string quartet we even found that they they actually synchronized their heartbeats uh, while while playing which is quite incredible really uh, thinking about it but that's showing how can attuned they are to each other And we're doing more research to try to understand exactly why and how that happens. But now we're scaling this up to look at an entire orchestra, which is a totally different thing. And of course, when you have, say, 70 musicians on stage that will do something together. Uh, so they're both together and need to follow the score and and be precise in every single way. But they're also doing different things, right? So... Uh, each musician, or perhaps not each musician, but at least each group are playing different things. Uh, so there are many, many things going on at the same time. And still they manage to kind of synchronize in the line and hit the right kind of beats, etc., which is quite incredible, really, when you think about the complexity of what's going on. So that's the link from the frequencies 
and let's say the science and the healing and the health to organizations, how do people organize, what does this to them when they organize it. So there are so many learnings here and uh, so so much fun to to jump from one to the other and uh, yeah connect them uh, afterwards. Um, so we also had some lessons about what we can learn from music. And for example, what has political journalism to do with music? Well, quite a lot. Um, as we can hear from Matt K. Lewis from West Virginia, uh, he shares with us five lessons about what music taught him about political journalism. So let's hear a little bit into that episode. Another thing I learned is just like not every song is going to be a hit, not every column or blog post is going to be a hit. And getting used to things like rejection and failure um, and just keep on moving, stay, you know, continue to progress and get better. Um, you can't have these delusions of grandeur that everything is going to be a hit. There are many times that I write a column, something that I think is decent, and it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't. Mm. I don't get invited on TV to talk about it. And so that was something else I got used to uh, was the demoralizing effect of, of people not caring. I learned that playing music and it has helped me in journalism. And then the, the last thing that I learned that I'll talk about is the importance of collaboration. And, um, you know, when you're when you're in a rock band, you're basically married to four or five dudes usually. And um, even if you write the song and your name is on it, someone laid down the baseline probably someone came up with the title it's it's a it's a collaboration and that was one of the most fun things i had was writing songs and with these other friends of mine um and working together and crafting something beautiful like hey let's come in with the harmonica here or that part i loved and i have that with my writing uh, you can hear his five lessons in the episode and um, yeah also nice to hear the collaboration again but then in a different uh, in a different genre in a different feel from classical to uh, to more rock and, and pop and um, thinking about how can you scale this how can you scale a band the knowledge how a band works how can you uh, yeah how can you scale this so staying in the US from for a moment um, live from Nashville um, we hear more about how to make our city better with music. So music as a tool by Shane Shapiro. Shane gives us and the policymakers in your city five tips how to do that. Um, first, first, you need to build a data and evidence base for your music economy. You need to have a strategy. You need to know where everything is. Second is you need a human being responsible for that music economy, and they need to be in the Department of Economic Development, if possible, rather than the cultural department, or have the cultural department in the Department of Economic Development, because culture is economic development. Um, then you have to understand your music tourism and music heritage assets, but not at the expense of you know living culture, right? Celebrating heritage is great, but living culture is future heritage. 
Now, I think that is such a profound uh, learning, um, talking about heritage, so where we celebrate heritage that is from long ago. We also have it here in Nijmegen, everything is about the Romans, that's 2,000 years ago. But what do you do with what happens now? That culture, that creation of heritage, of future heritage, that's really the power, um, yeah, how, can, how you can make a city better. Okay, so from that part, and um, yeah, the scaling from a band to a city, um, let's go also from US to Singapore to assistant professor at Nanyang Technology University in Singapore, Ben Pelter. And Ben, he tells me that he, he lived in Nijmegen, so the place where I lived, but now he's from the US, now living in Singapore. So you see how things come together and how they cross, um, how lines cross. So Ben shares his research and lectures about music as a sort of socio-cultural phenomenon. That's also linked with what we heard before. And um, he's using techniques from the field of communication and applying them to the field of music. So, well, in the power of music thinking, we do it the other way around, but also that way is interesting. So well, how can this influence music? So listen to his uh, episode, How Music Speaks. It's... Uh It's very important, and this is one thing that um, I try to focus on in, uh, especially in, in teaching my class. Um, being uh, an American myself, um, but obviously in Southeast Asia, um, I sort of have an obligation to um, step outside of that very narrow Western-focused uh, background, and that's at least um, I think most. Uh, People who are being trained, for instance, in music theory or music history, it's primarily focused on that Western perspective. Um, but of course, uh, yeah, different listeners coming from different cultures will receive music in different ways. There are some universals, um, like there are uh, features of music that uh, scholars have traced back to, for instance, evolutionary origins, um, thinking about the ways that um, the musical cues, uh, echo vocal cues, for example. So, uh, this is why this sometimes, well, so like, um, if you have, uh, uh, a low pitch, for example, um, that is typically used to denote something that's sort of sinister or aggressive or, mm -hmm. um, things of that nature, loud sounds as well, or aggressive and thinking in sort of an evolutionary psychological, um, way you can understand that because uh deep sounds come from large i mean it, it, thinking back to when the only sounds you would hear were essentially uh, vocal sounds right animals vocalizing humans vocalizing um so the, the larger an animal the deeper the sound and also the more danger that animal posed so there are some uh universals like that where people across all cultures will tend to have some basic reactions to certain musical cues that are in common. Um, but the, I would say that the differences between the musics of different cultures um, vastly outweigh the commonalities. Um, so you definitely can't presume that listeners from different, I mean, even within, you know, a, a single country, 
um, coming from, you know, different cultural backgrounds um, could nonetheless have uh, quite different perceptions of, yeah, the same piece of music. So it's so important to really listen, really listen closely to people and not just to assumptions. And when we learn that there are differences, even even in in a very closed, uh, closed uh, environment. Uh, but they're also universal and global patterns. And going global, um, yeah, talking about the Global Design Director Experience Design at IKEA, um, writer and musician Elke Lommers, he shares his insights on playing in a post-metal band, writing a fantasy novel, and leading a global team in world-building and empathic storytelling. We can do anything, right? Climate change, all the problems of our time, there's a design solution for that, right? There's a solution where we could use stories, music, anything, right? So don't let anyone tell you that whatever you create is just, is trivial, right? Because potentially it could change and move entire masses of people in, in, into a right direction if you were to to have it so also in a different wrong direction right because it has the same power but just know that choosing to be creative and choosing to, to choose for music or design or anything that society would say well you know what why are you not becoming a lawyer or a software engineer or right anything practical that makes you a lot of money right the act of creation is going to be such an invaluable skill and an invaluable trait to have in the future because there won't be long before computers can do a lot of this stuff and we will need creative people we will need people with empathy and with the ability to conceptually conceive the future so creativity also means to see a pattern in one field and trying that pattern in another field so for example We're all familiar with the saying that a picture speaks a thousand words. As humans, we not only visualize, but also interpret the visuals, extracting substantial meaning from them. However, when we pair diverse music with the same pictures or movies, our interpretations shift. The music leads us down distinct paths, altering what we see and how we perceive it. So, in the episode um, with Mike von der Namer, We talk about sonification, the use of non-speech audio to convey information or perceptualize data. That's the explanation of it. And uh, Mike, uh, he, he takes us on a, on a little journey on how this might help air traffic controllers to do a better job. And there is an aircraft, and depending on how many aircrafts or aircraft you have still on your plate, the music is changing. Yeah. And so for example, there's this layer one, which means everything is very nice. So in this layer, it's basically telling you there's also breaks in it, so everything is still fine. Yeah, so you can relax. Um, you're not in a stress position. Um, yeah, there's nothing is really dangerous. But so if you go now to the layer three. 
story here that the music changed. Um, there's much more beat in it. It's much more driven. Uh, there are riding tones that kind of go in and out. Um, and so it's much more alarming. And so that is really the idea, to have different layers yeah, and to kind of, even if you can't consciously dissect them, um, we have seen that people actually had this experience that something was more relaxing yeah, and that everything was kind of fine. And then the more you kind of lose track, yeah, because that's basically so, so the layer three that we just played is when there are too many aircrafts on your mm. table. Yeah. So this means person, you have to really do something now. Uh, because otherwise there will be an accident. And so that is one of the things that we are playing within that is to give you an not maybe a visceral experience, but at least an auditory experience of what's going on. So that's really saying, man, you have to hurry up. Now, that's also the perfect cue to to end this episode with the last episode we have one one more one more to go uh, in musical mind hacking Gina Ertheva conceives her story of a successful Bollywood singer who lost her voice at the top of her singing career and how she found and developed the conscious music code that helped her get back on track and start a new career as as she calls it mind DJ so here the start of her musical exercise she did in full length in our episode. As you hear the sound, you may choose to close your eyes and just be in this moment for a little bit. Breathe in and out at a very normal, relaxed pace. And let the sound be absorbed by not just your ears, but also through your body. When you have that, I'm going to play you a new sound. So as you hear this rhythmic thing, you might, I want you to think of something that was a little stressful in the recent past, a situation where things were not very good and you were feeling slightly uncomfortable. Um, just notice the emotions in your body as you watch that scene playing out in front of you. Notice your facial expressions, who all were there around you, how they made you feel. And now we're going to shake it all off. So just shake your body, shake your head, your neck, your shoulders, just shake it all off because we don't want to be in a negative place. We want to change that. So let's stop here. Um, in her episode, she does this for six minutes and it's a beginning and an end and it really helps you to, yeah, to maybe clear your mind at the end of the year or at the end of a day. So that's the idea. You really can do this um, while listening to the podcast. So... Now we're at the end of our rewind and um, you heard many voices and maybe you have one or two that you would like to listen to to the whole episode. Okay, think about it. Who are you listening to next and why? Uh, and me, myself and I, to quote one of my favorite De La Soul songs, enjoyed every episode and every guest because they're so different also have connections and patterns that fit together and really build that 
power of music thinking. Um, or hang on, maybe there is someone that you know that would fit the polymath, the end musician description, and would be a great guest. So let me know via Spotify, LinkedIn, Mastodon, Instagram, or any platform you find me. And ta-da! This is also a good moment to share the top five episodes this year, meaning the top five most listened to until now. Number one. With the most downloads, surprisingly for me, is the solo episode on listening in the field. So it sounds like people heard about it and shared it and listened to, to, to these um, field recordings um, that, that are made on different places. So really funny that this is the number one. Um, but on second uh, is um, the sound pictures with Charles Brooks. Remember, these were these, um, the, the cellist that did pictures inside of musical instruments and was doing something else to it. So that was really on number two. But in number three, and I think there's only 0.1% difference, so point two, uh, number two and three are pretty, pretty close, is leading an orchestra of leaders with Harvey Seifter. So about the Orpheus Jembo Orchestra and how they do this orchestral thing with a written score but with no conductor number four world building and empathic storytelling with Elko Lomers so remember that's the the, the global um, design person from Ikea and number five is how music speaks with Ben Pelzer and that's uh, for me a, a, a little surprise because I thought that this might not resonate with so many people but funny enough it is so, and uh, although everything is great, these were the five most listens to. So, if you like the podcast, please subscribe now. Share the podcast with others and leave a comment. And thank you very much in listening until here and uh, yeah, doing this rewind together because i hope while doing that rewind you also had maybe stuff that you heard this year and maybe you bring this together and yeah hear you in another episode thank you so much for listening i really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and i feel honored about this It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com.